It's adventures in Jody sitting. Welcome to Adventures in Jody Sitting. It's another festival of awesome. I think I'll copyright that. Somebody else might already have it. But if they don't, it's another festival of awesome. Today we have an episode that is almost entirely in response to a voicemail I received from four fans who quite possibly were drinking at the time they recorded it. Not entirely sure, but here's the message and then my response follows. We're standing in the kitchen. Cece, Eve, Lori, and me. And we like the podcast. We miss the dead hobo talk. And um, we'd like more stories about, I don't know, typewriters. Yes. More dead hobos. More dead hobos and more typewriters. Dead hobos and flies. We like the flies. And flies, flies and dead hobos. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Definitely flies and dead hobos. Not, not trouser flies, flying flies. Yeah, 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 that's important. When I was seven, my, my father worked for a company that was moving to North Carolina. And so, you know, they were getting rid of all of the equipment. They were getting rid of everything in the building. So they were selling office equipment. They were selling the tables and chairs from the cafeteria. We ended up with one of those. So my dad came home with a typewriter and he, he gave it to me. And I went crazy. I started newsletters. I would walk around my neighborhood giving out my newsletter. Nobody asked for this. And I mean, I've been doing this forever, writing and sharing sort of like the, I've had my website for 20 years. It's actually been probably closer to 22 or 23 right now. You know, over 20 years, I've had a website. Before that, I had a bulletin board. That's actually how I first met Tom. We went on a date. It's probably closer to 30 years ago now because we met on the bulletin board, had one date, didn't go that well. Wasn't a, much of a spark there. That was it for we had the one date. Fast forward a million years. We had a second date and now it's been five and a half years. We're now on our fourth date. So um, before, even before that, I started a newsletter called the Michigan Mitten or something like that. I was probably like 91, 92. So it wasn't like I could put something on the web back then. Had to uh, create a newsletter, print it, and mail it. Actually put a stamp on an envelope and send it to people. I, all you folks who have saved up your copies of the Michigan Mitten, those will be worth something someday. I have no idea what it says in them, but they will be worth something someday. So this started when I was eight. I feel like one of the things we used to do is just type lots of random letters and then have my mom search, sort of like a word search for her. Did we type anything? My sister's almost three years younger than me, so she would have been way too young to be able to read. I probably was just learning how to read, but we were hoping that when we typed lots and lots of letters onto pieces of paper, and trust me, we would do it endlessly, that she would be able to find words in there somewhere. So I've been writing forever and have loved typewriters forever. My parents bought me, when I was a senior in high school, a typewriter that had a, a cartridge for erasing. 
so that you didn't have to use whiteout or crossout. There was actually a separate tape that would erase the things that you wrote. That was very high tech. The other less high tech part of it was having to use um, carbon paper so that you could have two copies of something. So I remember taking an adult education class that I wasn't supposed to because I was still in high school, but there wasn't much they could do about it because I was 18, I think, when I took it. And I would have to use carbon paper on everything I wrote so that I could turn one copy in, but I would still have a copy. It was very tedious. And I was thinking about that very thing recently when I was considering playing around with it or trying to use it to write something because um, right now I guess typewriters are, are very cool with the hipsters. There are a lot of people typing things. What's good about it is it's very difficult to self-edit because you're, you're not going to be able to very easily go back and change something. And you've, you know, their whole point is you just write. You write anything, you, you get words down on paper. I mean, and, and that's the only way to get it done. If you write one page and then you keep rereading that, you're just going to edit that one page forever. And then your story's not getting out. You have to actually just write. Typewriters sort of have you in that mindset. You're just typing. And you once you pull the page out of the typewriter, put it down on the pile, a la Jessica Fletcher writing her novels, you don't necessarily look at it again until you're in an editing mode. And that might be good. What I was thinking about was how tedious it is and, you know, why computers were an amazing, amazing invention for writers is I could have infinite copies of something just by hitting that print button. And typing, I get one copy, possibly two, if I use carbon paper. I don't even know if they sell carbon paper anymore. And do I really want to have to type something up and then scan it in and then use OCR software to translate it into the actual words in the computer so that I could do my editing in the computer later. I mean, maybe that's not even that big a deal. I haven't tried to do it because I haven't had to do it. I have a computer. I don't, I don't need to scan in typed text. So I think I will grab the typewriter from my parents. I might pay Tom to use it because here's the thing about me. Um, the sound of typing makes me sleepy. So I had a really hard time whenever my roommates are in college were typing a paper, we all typed, I would doze off. It's a very calming sound to me and it would make me tired. And even to this day, I kind of have to tune out other people typing around me at work because if I start paying attention to it, I actually can feel myself relaxing and getting a little bit sleepy. And there are a lot of people typing around me. So I may, you know, I could just hire Tom to type. I could hire Tina to type. She has purchased two awesome old antique typewriters recently. I really wanted the first one that she got when we went antiquing together. And I think that episode is out. The problem is I was over her house and she let me use it. And I was thinking, huh, this is really difficult. Like my fingers are getting tired from the effort of 
pressing down the keys hard enough to have to strike the paper through the ribbon and get the letter on the page still is very easy to be typing too fast and have the keys all stick together that slows you right down so I was using it and I was thinking oh I love the sound of this this is wonderful and oh my god this is so slow and my fingers are not used to pressing down on a non-electric device so yeah I want to get the typewriter I just don't know if I'm gonna use it the way that I would like and I guess that is the that is the crux of the whole thing but that is my screed on typewriters for today Dave I hope this made you happy okay so the other topic that you wanted me to cover was flies and dead hobos I already recorded something about dead hobos I think so I'm going to talk about flies for a moment because they all go together, don't they? Um, my fly story that I have to share is from way back a billion years ago, approximately 1982. I was between junior and senior year of high school and I was on an international exchange program trip with members of my French class. I believe there were probably about eight of us and the, the French teacher. And we went to France and promptly boarded trains that took us to all corners of France. We didn't go and stay in one town. We actually were all in different towns. And I'm not sure how well that was communicated ahead of time that we wouldn't have the support system of the other people from our high school to be near each other. And that some of the kids got on trains by themselves expecting that they would have to get off the train in the appropriate town and be met by the host family. And oh, by the way, we're all in a foreign country and cell phones don't exist. So if you needed to call your family, you had to have French money and a payphone. And I have an interesting story about that, but that's a separate interesting story. So I went to a gorgeous little town called Nocel Gare, um, Nocel Station. There was no cell, there was no cell gear, which is because there was a train station in the town. It was this little teeny weeny place. And um, luckily that I was on the same train with some other people. I think they continued on to another stop further than I did, but it was a sleeper train. And I just remember waking up the first, when we were on the train, looking out the window and just, oh my God, there is nothing more beautiful than France in early morning mist. And nothing more terrifying if you're not completely confident in your ability to understand and speak French. But it worked out and I stayed with this delightful family, mother and father, three daughters. The middle daughter was, I think, a year younger than me. She ended up coming back to the United States a couple weeks after I returned and she stayed with my family for three weeks. 
I was staying with her family for two, and then we were spending a week in Paris. So the, the family had money. He owned his own, he was a, a stonemason, owned his own business, had a whole mess of employees. His house was built to look like a castle. And it had a whole stone facade, but there there was a little breakfast nook that was in one of the turrets. And there was a building behind the house that looked sort of like a low-slung garage, but it was um, divided up. There was a little apartment. I don't know if it was originally an in-law apartment, um, but they rented that apartment out to a family from Paris. So this family, it was, I guess it's sort of like an Airbnb or, a, you know, whatever the things are where you rent. I guess that is Airbnb, where you rent your house. But they were just renting out this space to a family from the city who was coming to the country. And they were mother and father and two boys, I believe. The mother of the family would cook lunch and you know anybody who's studied European customs lunch is the big meal of the day sit down I would call it sit down dinner but it was a sit down lunch multiple courses there was wine she would make lunch every day for all of the employees and sometimes also for the family that was staying in the house next door so this woman would get up early she would go into town and pick up loaves of bread. She would pick up fruits. She would pick up whatever else she needed to make the meal. And then she was in the summer kitchen, which was downstairs um, in sort of the basement area. And that's where all of the workers were allowed in. Because remember, they working with their hands, working with stones and cement, and they weren't allowed in the proper part of the house they they went into the basement area which had this massive table with benches and all of the workers and in the family members and there was wine like we had wine but it was all watered down because we were underage so I would have like pink water that was the wine came from the father of the family's um, sister's vineyard so there were these giant casks of wine in the house. Everybody drank wine. We would have soup. We would have meat, a roasted meat of some kind. There were vegetables. There was just fruit and cheese and usually an ice cream treat. They had a freezer that was literally just filled with anything that an ice cream man would normally provide was in this little freezer. I thought it was the greatest thing in the history of ever to be able to just go in and get any kind of ice cream that I wanted for dessert. But the the thing about this kitchen and actually, I mean, the, the upstairs was similar, but they weren't cooking as much up there, so I didn't notice it is when you were in there there were no screens on the windows there was a door but it was always open and there were just basically holes because they would open the windows to let the air in and there were flies everywhere there just you spent the entire meal swatting flies off of your food and i, th I consider myself lucky because I probably wouldn't have eaten if it was any other way. I consider myself lucky that 
flies on food bother me less than they probably should. Like, I probably should be far more bothered by a housefly landing on my plate, but I was down there and the flies were just all over everything well before we would go down to eat. So Lord knows what was on all this food. And we were out in the middle, like I said, in the middle of nowhere, across the street from the house was pasture land filled with cows and stuff. So I'm sure the worst nightmare things you can think of were were on the flies that were landing on the food. They'd be on the bread, they'd be on the cheese, and they'd kind of half-heartedly swat them away. Sometimes they would cover things with a cloth to keep it a little more out of the way, but there were just a million flies in this kitchen for good reason. There was good eating in there, I guess. It was the first time I had rabbit. It was the first time I had duck, and I have an ongoing love affair with duck from my stay in France when we used to eat it for lunch. But there, that was that's my thing is flies bother me less than they do other people. There are other people who, if a fly lands on their food, they won't eat any more of it. And I guess after seeing how these people lived, it was probably a lot more what it was like when our ancestors lived, that nobody had screens in the window. It was just a free-for-all. Your food was covered with flies. That's just, that's how life was. Probably added flavor and character. But they, I mean, it was a much more rustic lifestyle and it didn't bother any of them. So I sort of adopted that same attitude and wasn't very phased when I was constantly like trying to get flies from landing on my meal. But it was probably the greatest thing I've ever done in my life, which is sad that it happened when I was 17. I mean, there's been some good stuff since then, but going to France for three weeks, just the immersion, living with people I had never met and didn't know, and four of the five people in the family spoke no English. I used to talk to their dog just to hear English. Uh, the dog was helpful because I guess I just needed to hear it and there's a lot of stories that my family and friends have heard a million times so I probably shouldn't get into it but I guess the one thing that I would like to hear again from that whole trip is the theme song to the French version of Starsky and Hutch so if any of you have that pass that along to me um, I am available to catch it over on the Facebook page for Adventures in Jody Sitting. So this was cool. That's my fly story. I hope you liked it. I did sort of promise the universe that we would have fewer dead hobos in the podcast. And, and I even, I made up a jingle about it, which I'll try to edit into this space right here. Adventures in Jody Sitting. Now with 100% fewer dead hobos. Um, I, I mean, I made that promise and I feel like if I promise there'll be fewer dead hobos, but then I talk about dead hobos again, I don't know if that, I think that makes me less trustworthy than, than I am. I'm fairly trustworthy.
I mean, not 100% trustworthy. It really is more like, I'd say a good, just 75% trustworthy. The, the other 25%, you probably need to be on guard. Keep an eye out. I might try to pull some shenanigans. I'm a big fan of shenanigans. So I, I guess 75% trustworthy, 25% shenanigans, or maybe I'm only like 20% shenanigans and 5% dead hobo. But that, wait, that means I'm the dead hobo and that's not true that I know of. I guess it could be possible. All right, so I am 75% trustworthy, 20% shenanigans, and 5% dead hobo. And I guess it's been enough, it, there have been enough episodes where dead hobos never came up that it's okay that I've used that phrase 50 times so far in this episode. Because I do want to give the people what they want. If there are only five of you listening to the podcast, and you know, I've seen the numbers, it's possible that those five people are listening multiple times and they are the entire audience for this podcast. So if I'm going to do some quick math here, hold on. 80%, I have lots of percentages in this episode. If 80% of my listening audience is demanding podcasts contain more dead hobos, who am I to say no? I am nobody. I have no right to say no. I must comply. So there's your dead hobo. It's not an update. I haven't really had a fly in the house since um, that first podcast recording, which was 4th of July evening. I think that's that's probably a good thing. I did have a fly on me at work yesterday and it had red eyes. Is that Satan's fly? I'm not, I don't know. I don't know flies. I'm not whatever branch of science knows things about flies. There's probably a specialist for that on the science channel. If you hit the right program, um, there's gotta be a, there's gotta be a fly expert that they bring in from time to time on one of their shows. I, I just, I'm not familiar enough with the industry, with the fly science industry to know who, who are the go-to people if you have a question about fly science. So I just know it, it appeared to have red eyes. I, I wasn't getting too close to it. And then I very lovingly arranged for my coworker to beat the shit out of it with her foot because I, I couldn't do it. It was on it was on the wheel of the leg of the chair that I was sitting in and I I don't kill bugs and it's not from some altruistic humanitarian perspective and I was at work and I and I wanted it dead I wanted Satan's housefly dead but I didn't want to do it and she was brave and I probably owe her something now I, we didn't talk about that we didn't talk about her price but you know how you can accidentally make a deal with the devil and and then you don't realize that's actually what's happening 
until later when they pull out the signed contract and you're like, well, I didn't know that, that if you gave me fame and good hair that I would owe you my soul. I didn't know that's what I was signing. So I, I kind of, now I'm wondering, wondering if I'm going to owe her something and she's just laying in wait and she's going to spring it on me when I least expect it. Like maybe she's going to make me run a meeting that I don't want to run like for her and she'll just sit back and eat cookies while I struggle to be able to pronounce everybody's name correctly. Back to you, anonymous caller Dave, if that is your real name. Uh, We did cover flies twice. We covered typewriters, I think. It's been a long week and kind of talked about dead hobos. It's going to have to be enough for you because this is a this this is a full episode. I don't know that I have any more room in it. And I also don't necessarily have a good dead hobo story for you. I could make something up. But wouldn't it be better for me to go out and have a dead hobo adventure and then come back and be able to tell you a true story about a dead hobo? I I feel like that's that's a better life experience. So why don't we just see if I can go find one and then uh, we can talk about it. Okay? have a good one. Everybody, this has been Adventures in Jody Sitting. Thank you for indulging me because that's really what you're doing every time you listen to one of these episodes. And I promise I will keep them coming until you tell me to stop.